Amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. Take just a breath together uh, of quiet, and then uh, when I say our Father, you just can jump right in with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So good to see you. Um, wonderful to, to worship with you tonight. And uh, I just uh, felt God's peace descend upon us in that, in that time. So we're so glad you're here. Um, my name's Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. And Jesus has been uh, captivating. Well, I was thinking as we were singing over there, just how you know, people would gather in this room tonight because Jesus has captivated our hearts, right? Or is captivating our hearts, or maybe you are curious uh, about Jesus. But Jesus has been doing that for a long, long time. Uh, in fact, since Jesus was born, people have been coming to worship him. It's really interesting uh, that when Jesus was born, you know, you may know the story of Jesus being born in a, a place where animals were kept and placed in a manger that actually at that moment, his parents worshiped him as the son of God. Uh, soon after that, some shepherds came, right? They knelt down, they worshiped him. Uh, as the story goes, there's other people, other people that come to that place uh, and, and worship him. But that place in Bethlehem, in Israel, is actually a real place where Jesus was born. And as happens oftentimes with these holy sites, a church was built right on top of where Jesus was born. Um, and then as centuries go, churches get built on top and top and top. But you can actually go to the place where Jesus was born. And there was a church built there that's called the Church of the Nativity. And I have a picture of it. Uh, this is the Church of the Nativity. And you can see it's this cavernous uh, facility. And this is built over where uh, Jesus was born. They've been holding that place where he was born since it happened. And I don't know if you can kind of look way back in the way back corner, you kind of see like a dark opening, right? Well, that's the entrance to uh, the church and the nativity. And the, the, the entrance is a really, uh, it's an interesting thing, an interesting story about the entrance to the church and the nativity, because this place is a place that millions of people go every uh, year. Every day, the church and the nativity is packed. It's, it's one of two of the most uh, famous and uh, holy sites of Jesus in the Jerusalem area. So every day, people from all over the world are coming to this place that Jesus was born because Jesus has captivated people's hearts for a long, long time. So I've got another closer up picture of the door. And you can kind of see, um, can you kind of see up above there, there's like an old archway up above that little opening. That was a, a doorway that was built in the crusader times. And during that period, there were folks that were coming in and actually trying to take over this holy site. People were fighting over it. And so they, they built in with these big stones the doorway, and they made this really small door so guys on horses couldn't ride into the sanctuary, you know, looting the place. But after that particular uh, skirmish was over, they decided to leave the door just like that. 
And so from that time period on, every person that has entered into the church nativity has had to bow or kneel or even like crawl in. So think about this with me for a moment. Every person that comes into this place uh, at one point had to dismount from their horse. Um, you got to understand that when any king or emperor or dignitary or president goes to Jerusalem, they're going to this place. And every man and every woman for the last, you know, 1,700 years, when they go into the place where the humble baby was born in a manger, they themselves have to bow their heads. And this door uh, has a name, and the name of the door is the door of humility. The door of humility. That was a long intro, I get it. (laughs) But I want to invite you tonight to go through the door of humility. I want to invite you to go through a door where you will have to lower yourself a bit, come off of your high horse, uh, maybe kneel or bow to come into the presence of Jesus, the humble baby that was born in a manger. Last week, Pastor Gary preached in this series on James, and he gave us some statements that were hard for us to say. I felt the tension in the air when he invited us to say them, and so I'm not going to ask you to say them again, okay? I'm not going to do that, but I do want you to see them again. Here are the statements. I am sorry. I was wrong. I need help. I don't know. Those are statements of humility. So only the humble person can say, I'm sorry. Only a person who's experiencing humility can say, I was wrong, or I need help. And then finally, even to say, I don't know. And the reason Gary gave us those statements to practice is because what James is talking about, so much of it is about wisdom, right? But what James is trying to lead us to is actually a door of humility, a place where we would lower ourselves down, uh, bow our heads to go in. Let me read you a verse that we read last week again. This is James chapter 3, verse 13. And it says, who is wise and understanding among you? So we've been talking about wisdom, that we want the wisdom from above. We want wisdom from God. And so James asks here, who is wise? Who is wise? Who is understanding? And he says, they will be able to show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So humility and wisdom go together. They're, They're good friends, okay? If you want wisdom, you'll have to kind of get to know humility as well. And as I was kind of uh, preparing for tonight's sermon and thinking about it, I was like, okay, so you have to get humble before you can get the wisdom. But that's actually not what the scripture says, okay? It's actually the reverse of that. That's what we're going to talk about. It's like when you get the wisdom from God, you will become humble. I know that may not mean a whole lot right now, but just, just kind of uh, hang with me if you can. What else are you going to do? You're kind of like sitting here. It's like, you have to. So... As I've been reading James, I've seen a, a progression uh, through it that I want to share. I want to share with you. So let's kind of think back. Uh, and if you haven't been here, just it'll be real easy to see. But James starts with our trials. He starts with our hard stuff. He he starts with the pressure of life. He starts with the stress. He starts with that thing that broke us. That thing that is pushing us down. He calls it a trial. It's like, has anybody ever felt like you were your life was on trial? You know, like it's like I'm on trial right now. My faith's on trial. I'm standing trial. And James he starts his book with a trial. He's like, let's let's go ahead and start there. It's like verse two. He's like, hey, I'm James. I'm Jesus' brother. I'm a disciple of Jesus. When you're in a trial, here's what you need to do. So that's where he starts. And that makes sense to me because it's kind of where we have to start 
with our lives because most of us have encountered something that's really, really difficult. And so James says, we've talked about that our trials are an opportunity to learn perseverance. So the hard thing you're going through right now is actually your classroom to learn how to get through a bunch of other stuff too. So you're going through something hard right now, but it's actually building something in you, growing something in you that will be able to push you forward. So let me read the verse to you from the beginning. This is verse two and three. He says, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters were like, are you crazy, James? He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He does not say you're going to feel a bunch of joy when you're going through something hard. He does not say that your heart's going to well up with just a bunch of a big Jesus-loving joy in your heart. What he says is, consider it joy. What he says is, count it joy. There is a joy that you can, um, that you can consider in the hard thing because of what God is doing in you in the trial. It is producing in you perseverance. And we're like, why is perseverance, you know, so important? Well, let me show you this progression that, I, that I've seen. The trials are going to lead you to learn perseverance, and we need to learn perseverance because this isn't the only hard thing we're going to go through. And so when we get to the next hard thing that we're going through, the perseverance will have led us to a wisdom. It's clearly a progression that James is talking about. You're going to go through hard stuff. You have a choice. There's all kinds of things you can do in hard stuff, right? You can seek escapes. You can lash out. You can act a fool. You can give up. James says, here's what you do in a trial. Persevere. And that perseverance will help you to gain a wisdom. You don't get wisdom without going through something hard first. Any person you can think of that, that has a lot of wisdom in their life, they've gone through a lot of hard stuff. And then the wisdom leads to humility. I'm going to tell you why that's so important uh, in, in a minute. But first, I want to take you down a little bit of a side road um, uh, in this sermon. And it's, we're going to stay on this side road for like the rest of the sermon. So, but it's like, I need you to get on this side road. Like James is leading us to something. I'm, it's, I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's really awesome what the humility is going to lead to. But I want to take you on a side road. It's like when your grandpa, he like, he's taking you somewhere and he goes down a side road. The reason he goes down a side road, it's going to take a little bit longer, but he wants you to see something on the way. There's something, there's something on this side road that you need to, uh, you, you just really want to see before you get to the good place that you're going. So um, here we go. James, the book of James. We're talking about a book in the New Testament. We've been studying it this month for, uh, this is our fifth week, except I kind of messed up one week, but who's, who's keeping track? And James, you may have noticed it, I don't know, um, but the book of James just doesn't hit everybody just right. You may have felt it. You may not, but I'll, I'll kind of explain to you why. Um, James, uh, for a long time, has been a book that sort of troubles people. In fact, James was one of the most highly disputed books of the Bible to be put into the Bible when that conversation was going on. People were like, I don't know about James. I'm not so sure about James. Uh, most famously, there was a guy named Martin Luther who you may have heard of. Uh, he was this great reformer in the 16th century, and it led to like the Protestant church and the Bible being able to be read by all kinds of things. Martin Luther was this amazing person, and he, he really struggled with the book of James. Martin Luther ranked the book of the Bible, which I'm like, who ranks the books of the Bible? Martin Luther. Uh, and um, 
at first, he didn't even want James in, but when he finally realized he couldn't change the Bible, uh, he said, I'm going to rank James in what he called the lower tier. It's like, there's some other stuff that I want you to read before you read James. Uh, Martin Luther called the book of James an epistle. That means a letter. He called it an epistle of straw. And what he meant by that is like, um, he was saying, don't, don't build your foundation on James. You're like, are you really running down James? I'm, I'm running down James for a moment, but there, there, there's a reason, okay? And I'm saying it because maybe it's troubled you. Maybe some of the things that we've said over the last few weeks have troubled you, and I don't want to skip over it. This is the side road that we're on, okay? So the reason people don't like James, ready, is because James puts, it seems, all of the emphasis on what we do. James talks so much about what we are supposed to do. And so we hear lines like, consider it joy when you're going through something hard. I have to do that work. Or he says, there was one we looked at the second week, don't doubt. Uh, He says, uh, just let's go to last week. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Who messed that up this week? (laughs) One we haven't even got to yet, but he says, those who consider themselves religious, probably most of you here tonight, maybe not everybody, most of you consider yourselves religious. You're at a church on a Thursday night. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight Rain on their tongue, meaning control what they say. He says, their religion is worthless. And we're like, I don't like you, James. All those kind of lines, and they're all throughout the book of James, lead an honest person to say, who can do that? Who can count their hardest trial joy? Who cannot doubt sometimes? Slow to anger, not me. I can't control my mouth and my, my religion is worthless. We'll place my religion in the worthless bucket because I can't control this thing. And when we think, I can't do that, James, the logical next step is to check out from a religion that is based on me getting it right because I can't get it right. Martin Luther's like, I can't do that. My seminary professor said, Martin Luther was drinking a beer and chasing his wife around the house, you know? <laughs> and I don't know why he said that. I don't know why I'm saying it right now. It's not in my notes. <laughs> but Martin Luther's like, freedom, right? Martin Luther loves statements like, it's by grace I've been saved, not through anything I've done on my own, not from myself. It's the gift of God. That's what Martin Luther was looking at. And so when we hear from James what sounds like precisely the opposite of the gospel, if I can't get it right, I'm in trouble. The good news of Jesus is I can't get it right, and Jesus made a way for me, even me. Thank you, Jesus. That's the gospel. I'm I'm done with you, James, this controlling my tongue. Well, the reason that James is kept, and even Martin Luther eventually agreed and said, this is the word of God, okay? He said, this is the word of God. Um, the reason we can do that is because James actually doesn't contradict the gospel. He comes right alongside it. I'm gonna, I hope I can show you how. What James is inviting us to do is grow up, to mature. And the way James leads us is actually the way of Jesus. He leads us there through the door of humility. We're coming off the side road, okay? 
he's pushing on us like what? Like any good teacher, like any good pastor would do, like anybody who really loves you would do, to say, um, I want you to go farther. I want you to go deeper. But James does not contradict the free gift of grace given to us through Jesus Christ. He shows us the way to it if we look closely, and it's through a door that is too short for you to go through if you're on your high horse. You will not be able to walk through the door that James is opening for you unless you bow, unless you fall before the one who was born in Bethlehem. James does say that our faith will affect what we do. He does say that faith without works is dead. James says even the demons believe in God. You know, who cares about what you, what you believe? But that's why he says you can't just say everything you think. Um, you can't talk and cause all kinds of destruction with your tongue if you are holding to this humble heart. But here's the cool thing. Do you know who James says can do the things that he's asking us to do? Uh, take, for example, this uh, taming your tongue or being able to control your words. Do you know who James says can tame the tongue? Well, he tells us, and I'm going to tell you. Here it is, James 3. Uh, he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by people. But listen, he says, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Who can tame the tongue? Who can tame the tongue? No human. A person who has spent some time with the gospel, the good news, would say, I've heard stuff like this before. It might remind you of some verses like we would find in Romans, which Martin Luther loved. Uh, this is Romans chapter 3. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers on their lips, the exact same that James says. And so you hear that, nobody's good, nobody can do it, and you're like, that's the good news? That's the good news, that none of us is going to get it right? It's the start of the good news. The good news always starts with the need for good news. Good news isn't all that good if you don't need it. And guess what, guys, Thursday nighters and those of you watching online, we need it. <laughs> no human can tame the tongue because there's none righteous, not even one. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is how the gospel gets un <laughs> unveiled. It's so amazing. There's nobody good. There's no one righteous. Our, our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to, the, to, to, to God's righteousness. There's, there's nobody who can do it. No one can tame the tongue. You just hear this over and over. There's nobody. There's no one, no one, no one. But there was one born in Bethlehem. There's no one who can do this. There's no one who can do this. There's no one. That sounds like bad news. No, there was one born in straw. He was not a random baby born while his parents were on vacation. He was the son of God. And they worshiped him, his own mother and father. And the shepherds came and knelt before him. And they left glorifying and praising God throughout the whole city. And kings arrived later. They laid their riches at their feet as they bowed before him. And for any of us 
to enter into the presence of that one born in Bethlehem, we must come down and bow to approach. And in him, in him, in him, in him, in Jesus alone, we find what James calls more grace. James said that? Oh, yeah, James said that. If you keep reading in James, he says, God gives us more grace. James paints the picture. He's not letting us off the hook. He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow up. But he says, all, this, all these things, you know, we live in this, he calls them an adulterous generation and all these things. It's so hard. It's so difficult. But he says, but God gives us more grace. Listen to what James says. He says, he gives us more grace. And that's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. James is trying to get us not just to the door of humility, through it. Because that's where grace is. Listen, I'm just going to read you some verses from James. He says, so submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He says, grieve, mourn, and wail. What are you talking about, James? He's talking about humbling ourselves. Go ahead and change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why? He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So when we're going through, a, when we're going through the pit, right, what do we want? We want God to lift us up. When we're going through, when we feel like our life is on trial, our faith is on trial because of how hard what we're going through is, what do we want? We want God to lift us up. But it's in the trial that we persevere and we keep going. And in there, we gain this wisdom, not just for us, but for the things that we're going to go through and begin to share. And in the wisdom, we find that the only, the only thing we can do is lower ourselves before God. And when we humble ourselves before God, we get lifted up. James is showing us the picture of maturity, what he calls a complete and mature Christian will know they have to go through this journey to be lifted up. So trials lead to perseverance. Perseverance leads to wisdom. Wisdom gets us to the door of humility, and when we walk through, we get lifted up. It's good news. James is saying that there's something God can do in you and through you that is only found when you think you've met your match and you're going down for the count. <laughs> And it's when you get that low that God will lift you up. And he says, you'll start living differently. The living differently is not what's going to save you. You're saved and you're going to live differently because God saved you. The early church that James was writing to, what did they do? You know, it's like, what did they accomplish? What magnificent buildings did they build? What ministries did they leave for us? What ministries to the poor still sustain? What lasting legacy do we have from them? You know, the early church, do you know what they did? You know what the early church did? They did not give up. They persevered. They kept going. They held on to the gospel and they passed it down. All of their buildings are in ruins. All of their ministries have come and gone. None of their names are remembered. They held on to the faith and they did not give up. They persevered. James is not saying that you're, not, that you're gonna crush it in this life. He's saying you're not gonna be crushed. James is not saying that your joy won't be shaken by the loss, by the grief, by the trial. He's not saying it won't be shaken. He's saying it can't be taken. 
because the Spirit is putting in you. We get a wisdom from above that allows us to see and think and feel differently in the midst of difficult circumstances. And we persevere. And so we say, thank you, Pastor James, for not going soft on us. Thank you for not going soft on us. We want to persevere. And so we say, what do we do, James? Do we have to do a bunch of good deeds? Do we need to clean out our potty mouths? You know, what do we need to do, James? He says, submit yourselves to God. Come near to him. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Fall down. Come near to Jesus. The one born in Bethlehem is the savior of the world. Some goofball in Mount Juliet on Thursday night is proclaiming it with all his heart. He's captivated the whole world, not because we can do good things. There's not one of us who is righteous. No, not one. It's when we fall down before him that we find he has more grace for us, more grace, more grace, more grace. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. He will lift us up. He will lift us up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. Y'all stand up. Y'all stand up. I told you to, you know, go down all night, but stand up. All right. If there's somebody here tonight that wants to give their life to Jesus, I want you to know that we're doing this thing in just a couple of weeks called Say Yes to Jesus. It's going to be on Thursday night. Bring all your friends. Uh, We've waited so long to baptize people. And you know, the last several weeks at Providence, we're baptizing people every week. This Sunday, we're baptizing a 17-year-old and a 51-year-old. People are ready to say yes. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. And so uh, you can come talk to Mark or myself tonight or go to prov.church slash sign up and say, I want to go under the water. Uh, I want to be baptized. Maybe you want to recommit your life to Jesus, man. You know, uh, after all this that we've been through, say, I want to say, I want to recommit. You can, uh, you can do that. It's going to be a glorious night. I want you, I want you to know about it. Um, let, let's pray. God, you're so good. I've got so excited. I don't even know what I'm talking about. And I'm just thrilled to be a part of the body of Christ, the people who follow Jesus today. There's nothing better. You're everything. You're everything to us. Move in our hearts. We submit ourselves to you. We humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.